Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, welcome on today's show. We have Connor McGill. This guy is an awesome guy. He's like a powerhouse where he in the village where he lives and he has everything to do in sport and training. And welcome to the show, Connor. How are you today? I'm not too bad. All good, Arn. Where are you from, Connor? From Lurgan up in the north of Ireland, Armagh, County Armagh. It doesn't sound like you're your arm out with that thick uh, accent, all right, you know? Don't say Belfast. <laughs> when I'm on holidays, I think I'm Welsh. <laughs> that must have been funny being on holidays. I think, are you Welsh or, or Irish or British? Or <laughs> t- Tell us about how you, like, what was life growing up in, in your life? Life was, had a very good upbringing, grammar, school, education, things like that. Was on the cross-country team in school, was asked to join a few running clubs and things like that. But at the age of 13, 14, you think you know everything, you really know nothing. So I didn't go to the running clubs and then I sort of started drinking at a very, very young age from 13 and around us. And from that, uh, 13, I maybe started into a bit of drugs and stuff when I was 15, 16. And then sort of got progressively worse as the years went on and then sort of came to a head when I was between the ages of 18 and 20. We're just, it was getting out of control. It was building up to four or five days a week sort of thing. And then 22, I met my wife. And then I sort of had to settle down, no choice but to settle down, which was, which was a very good thing. What made you take up drink and drugs at that age? Uh, it's just, with the wee town that we were in, it's just everybody was doing it. I don't blame anybody on uh, my actions, you know what I mean? I take full responsibility for my own actions. But it was just, you're in the company, everybody else is doing it. You think, Flip, it's only a couple of beer and then... A couple of beer and then it just it becomes you're doing it on a Friday night then it starts building and growing and then you end up before you realise you're doing a Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday you know what I mean and uh, it was a fact and it wasn't overly bad until say 17 until I left school and then I started working and then it started that's when it started snowballing 
it was affecting my work and I was getting tired. I would have smoked a lot of marijuana as well and just made me tired and lethargic, just didn't want to do anything, zero motivation. And you think you're just stuck in a wee vicious circle that just keeps going round and round and round. So yeah, drink at the weekend, you recover during the week, the thirsty again, and then you're ready to go again. And you don't realize how bad it is until you break that cycle. Feel the stomach, so you're sitting going around, it's like a roundabout, just constant. And then eventually, when you sort of come away from it, you go flipping hell. My head was wrecked there, and I've done it for God knows how long, four, five, six years maybe. And you just go to yourself, like, I've just wasted six years of my life on drink, drugs, whatever else. It's just basically the way it was. Yeah, and, and you need pressure to take it up from friends at the time. See, to be honest, I don't like falling in the, the entitlement trap. No ways. I take full responsibility. No, there was no pressure. Just I made the conscious decision to do it myself, to be honest, because they, they were doing it, yes, fair enough. But I didn't have to do it because there was friends in the group that didn't do it. You know what I mean? I wasn't one of them. So, no, I didn't feel any pressure. It was what I'd done myself. You know, they say drinking drugs is the gateway to experiencing things which can be interesting and cool, whatever we can put it towards. But yeah. what, what got you addicted on it? See, to be honest, everybody says cannabis, cannabis was the gateway drug. I, I, in my eyes, it was alcohol because without alcohol, I wouldn't experiment as much. You know what I mean? Because alcohol gives you the wee bit of Dutch courage. We were all, well, maybe I'll try ecstasy. And then once you try ecstasy, it led the speed, led the LSD, and then advanced the cocaine. You know what I mean? So the alcohol sort of made me want... Not want to try it, it just give me the courage to try it you know what I mean and because everybody else was doing it, it just goes well I'll give it a go in the back of your head you're afraid of something happening but you see that everybody else is doing it and nothing's happening then so you go well I'll give it a go that sort of thing were you chasing something to take the drugs or to feel superman in some way no, no, I wouldn't say that. It was just, it was maybe just a wee bit insecure. No, no, I was growing up. You know the problems with when you're a teenager, you think alcohol gives you a wee bit of confidence and the ecstasy made you feel more relaxed and just things like that. I think it probably stemmed from a wee bit of insecurities, to be honest, and sort of gave me that wee bit of courage to go out more. But the more I was smoking marijuana, it was having the opposite effect on me. I was going into myself. I was smoking cannabis every day for a long time from, I'd say it started maybe 14, 15. And I was smoking that to maybe it was 20 every day. And then I was coming, becoming withdrawn from society. I wouldn't go into the shops. When I went into the shops, I thought everybody was looking at me. I became very, very paranoid. I wouldn't even go and get my haircut. That's how bad it got. So and every time I went to get my haircut, I would have to bring one of my mates on. I don't even know. It's just sort of back to my own head. If that makes sense. You know, we hear addiction thrown around a lot, but someone that's that's in it, how does it look for someone that's fully deep, deep in the, the, the addiction of either drugs or drink? It's just, you feel that, that you need it to socialise, you know what I mean? Because from a very young age, I, I don't think, no, I know for a fact, my mind wasn't fully developed when I started, you know what I mean? So at a time where your mind's developing, you're learning, and you put that into the mix, and just unbalances everything. And I think when you put the drugs in it and everything else, you just, you think that when it, at the time comes for you to go out, that you need it, you know what I mean? You need it to be social, where you clearly don't. Because I didn't realise until later on in my life that what, what it was and why I was doing it. I hadn't touched a drop of drink in five years, hadn't touched a drug in maybe, well, I'm 39 now, so I would say a good 15, 16 years. You know what I mean, and now that your head's clear, you're in a good place, you realise, like, I was doing it, it was just a waste. I didn't need that, but I may have thought I needed it at the time, or I didn't, but you're stuck in that vicious circle of doing it, recovering, and then doing it again. And you just, it leads nowhere. I mean, it clouds your vision. Any aspirations you have, it just completely wipes them out because you're not thinking about anything else. You're not thinking clearly. You're just thinking about drink, sober up, recover, do it again. And that's it. Yeah. Were your parents aware of this? 
No. The, the only time they ever became aware of it was because I'd done an interview for the Irish News, had the album. They knew a tiny bit, but they didn't know the extent of it because when from I was 17, Della said maybe it was 20, it was, I wouldn't go to the hairdressers. I started having suicidal thoughts. I was walking to work every day and I just, just didn't want to be here. You know what I mean? But I kept it all into myself. Just didn't tell anybody. Only told my, my wife whenever I was married, maybe two or three years because you're always afraid of coming back on again because in the back of my head, I know it only takes me one drink and then I back to that person again. But for me to have that drink would take a hell of a lot. I, I know myself now. I fooled myself for a long time because I stopped the drugs and then I started running. I was running. I replaced my addiction for drugs with my addiction for running. So I got obsessed with running, but the drink was still relevant. I was still drinking and I was trying to convince myself that, oh, I can only have one, I can only have one. But I have a very, very addictive personality. <laughs> Anything I touch, I get addicted. Even if I was to take a drink of Dad Coke, it would maybe be three times. If I started running, I became obsessed. I went from morning, noon, and maybe even three times a day I was running at one stage. I know it exists in my life, so I try, to, I try to control it and I try to put it towards something positive rather than going back to where it was. And I know a lot a lot of teenagers is the same, mainly fellas, because I think it starts something similar to the way mine starts. They think that they need it to socialise, that their friends are doing it, they're sitting in a house, well, sure, all my friends are doing it, why should I not do it? And then they do it. And then some people can have one drink, they'll go to bed. But the likes of me, I wouldn't have went to bed. I'd have sat up until every bit of drink was drunk in the house. And then I'd worry about the consequences after. It's, it's just a personality cured your doubt. Some people can get out of it, some people can't. Some people can control it, some people can't. You just need to find out the ones that can control it. They can have a sociable drink, go to bed, get up the next day feeling grand. But the time where I'm from, there's hundreds of people that can't. And they don't realize because they're stuck in that circle. They don't feel normal. Their normal is drink, recover, do it again. They're free to step outside it. They'll maybe do it for a week. They'll feel good, but when the next weekend comes, they'll go back into it again. And they need, they need to break the cycle, to be honest. And it, it is a hard cycle to break, especially when you don't know what's happening. Because you can have a lot of people that can function all right, that they can go to work, they can get on with their daily lives, whatever. I would have went to work most of the time. I would miss maybe the odd Monday. The odd Friday if I was drinking, but I tried, tried to always get them to work. And then you think, oh, because I went to work on the Friday, I can drink that Friday night. Just the fan of your own head, basically. You talk about having dark thoughts and, and suicide. What was the turning point in your life to, to stop the addiction that you had? There was a few turning points, to be honest. I can remember going on a holiday. I went on holiday with mates. It was a drinking holiday. There was drugs involved, not a lot, because we were sort of coming away from it. But there was a wee bit of drugs on that lay. I was sitting on the holiday and I just remember thinking, just going, this isn't me anymore. I'm in a room with people that's supposed to be my friends and I feel like I'm lost. You know what I mean? I just felt like I was by myself. Like I said, I was locked in my own head. I was just going like, this isn't me anymore. I need to just stop. And then I got home from a holiday. My sister just had a child, to be honest. I'd be fairly, fairly maternal, to be honest. I have three kids myself now. And my sister had a child and I sort of started thinking, well, maybe my life wouldn't be too bad if we can go down that path. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Just get away from, break the cycle, get away from the circle and try and put things into something that's positive. And my sister had the child. The child was living in my mum and dad's house and I was living there too. So it was all myself well, sort of getting used to having a child about the house and was all flipped. This year's great. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. And then eventually 
my wife was always a friend. No, we used to go out together and things like that. So she was a friend, would have been in that circle with us. And then one night we just we ended up getting together and the rest is history. As I said, we were, I think we were 22 when that happened. So it did take a wee bit of my sister's child's 18 now. So it's in around 20, 22 it was starting. 20, I would say I was starting to think clear. I was starting to settle a wee bit. The thoughts weren't weren't as relevant. I still had the odd one, but it was all myself. Well, I can turn my life around, try and quit everything that I'm doing. I still would have drunk, like I was saying. I still would have smoked a wee bit of weed. But the harder stuff, the ecstasy, the acid that was affecting sleep. So I was having sleep paralysis for many years. I was waking up in the middle of the night. I couldn't get to sleep most nights. And then Tuesday and Wednesdays, you felt like somebody was holding you down the room. Your body was dead. Your mind was racing. And I knew myself it was coming from the drugs and stuff. So I was just going, right, I need, I need something needs to change. Or I'm just, I'm not going, I'm going to end up not taking it. And with, like I said, if somebody were to talk one ecstasy, my personality was, well, I have to take two to take three. You know what I mean? And so it, I knew it rightly that if I can stop and try and channel it into something positive, I can do it. And then at a party in a house, I see myself sitting on the sofa, had a cigarette in my mouth, had a bottle of beer in my hand, and my belly was hanging over the chair and I was all right. I'm going to join the gym. So I said when I was younger, I was all into cross-country and stuff, was asked to join cross-country teams. I won under 16s race when I was 12. One year then I went back when I was 13, but 13 and started drinking, and I ended up coming come third last. So from that point, I went to the gym, and I started on the treadmill, and the natural ability for running was there. I would be very, very competitive as well. And I was watching people on trade and I was saying, well, I'm a lot quicker than most of these. And then one of the guys was working with me said, Connor, you're doing a wee bit of running. There's a race between the bridges. No, the motor went Belfast. They're opening the extra lane. And there was a race, no, for opening the lane. So it goes well. I've been training for a wee bit, doing a bit of running. I was never really mad into the gym, to be honest. It was more cardio. So I'd done the race between the bridges and then it just clicked. It just goes, well, this is what I want to do. This is kind of a two-part question. I'll ask it in, in two parts. Do you do you regret taking that first uh, smoke or drink? And second of all, how does the competitive, addictive self that you have inside you figure out the, the answer to be you are now? Uh, first part of the question is no, because it's taught me lessons that you don't learn through books, you don't learn through anything else, it's life experiences. And I reckon if I didn't take that first step and didn't take that first smoke, that it might have got me later in life. And it could have happened when I had children. It could have happened anytime and then it would have just took over. So I'm glad now that I know the pitfalls in it. I know where it le- I know where that road leads and that road was leading me somewhere where I probably want to come back from. And for taking that first step, it was more a lesson, it was a life lesson that I needed to learn at a young age rather than older age. So a few things I would change. I probably wouldn't have went as hard in it, but to be honest, in all fairness, I'm just I'm glad I've done it when I did and not at an older age because I'm making I'm making get out of it at an older age. I don't know. I don't even like thinking about it to be honest. The second part of the question, sorry, what was it again? The it's where does the the addiction and the competitive edge come? You talk about if someone takes one pill, you have to take two pills. Where, like, yeah. is that internally in you, or is that something you picked up from your parents? Or I don't know. It's just something that's always been there, even when. I'm running. People think people thought, well, he's a natural ability, but they didn't know that I was getting up at five o'clock in the morning. They didn't know that I was maybe training on my lunch break, and they didn't know that I was doing a session at night. It's just, it's just the competitiveness to be better than anybody else. Not as in just, just to go one further. You know, like if somebody's going to try and beat me, like I'd have run competitive for a long, long time. 
And if the person beat me, I would just visualize him in my head for the next six, six to eight weeks training. I always seen him in front of me. And I was all, well, this guy is going to do this, but he's not going to do this because I'm going to get up that bit earlier. I'm going to work that bit harder. I'm going to stay that bit longer just so the next time I go to race him, I can beat him. You know what I mean? It's it's just something, it's just the competitive, competitive nature. And probably a lot to do with the addictive, the addictive personality. In sport and athlete, that's a common thread that you just described, that competitive, addictive component where if this person's running faster, I'm going to get up earlier and train harder and become better. In your own experience, what do you think that comes from? The world you want to succeed. Same way when I opened the gym, I would open the gym an hour earlier just to try and build the business. I went from, I started with kettlebell on the mat and then it just snowballed. But people think, well, if they look at me now, go, well, he's the gym, he's this, that and the other. They don't see what I've done behind the scenes. I still get up at half one morning, I still set goals, I still visualize growth, I still visualize getting better. So that keeps me grounded. Um, where it comes from, I don't know. I just think it's it's either in you or it's not. It's the thing that's different between what makes people good and what makes people great. The elite runners are the elite runners for a reason. They work harder. They eat better. Same with swimmers. They'll be in the pool more than anybody else. They'll eat cleaner. It's just what you want to get out of it. It's the seed that can be planted there. Natural talent, anybody can have natural talent, but if you're going to work harder than that person with a natural talent, hard work's going to win. It's just, it's something that as I've grew older, I've developed into a positive thing where when I was young, young, naive, thinking I knew everything, it's just, you knew, you, I knew nothing. You know what I mean? And I would have just put, you think to yourself, well, I know what I'm doing. I can control this. I can do this. I can do that. You can't. You know what I mean? I can, I can to a certain extent control my workload now. Like I work for myself. And there's days, obviously, everybody gets tired in the work and my wife would go to me, Connor, we'll just take a day off. And I go, but I can't take a day off. If I take a day off, then it's like taking a step back. But as the years go on, I learned the rest, just not to quit, basically. You have to find a balance and it is still hard for me to take a back step. For, for me, that's going backwards rather than keeping going forward. I feel that the need to be always aiming for something else. You know what I mean? Once i done my first PT session, I was all right. I want to do classes. Then once i done my first set classes, I goes, well, I want a gym. Once I got the gym, it goes, right, I want to extend the gym. So all, the mind's just always taking off the way forward. Just keep on, keep on going. Money doesn't drive me in the slightest. You know what I mean? If it's the will to succeed, it's the will to go that wee bit further. If you, if, I don't, if you understand that, it's just to, to be better than it was yesterday, basically. And it's the same with training. When I train, there has to be a process where I know I'm improving. I know there come a stage as the years take on where I'll not be able to improve. And to be honest, I don't know I don't know how I feel about that. But cross that hurdle when it comes to it. And when you come to it, please let me know because I'm, I'm the exact same myself, uh, the way you're describing. I'm an athlete myself and I understand what you're talking as 100%. And it's like... Yeah. If you're going to throw the towel in or, or take a step back, it's like, I need to train harder, I need to do this, I need to do that. But actually, sometimes yeah. stepping back is actually the, the right thing to do in some way. Too. Yeah, it definitely is. Rest and recovery. We need, we need to learn. But then I, I think to myself, well, even on Christmas Day, when I was running, I'm thinking to myself, well, I bet you make competitors are running Christmas Day. So I'm going to go for a run Christmas Day. And then Jillian was all the night, my wife, Jillian was all, but they'll take the day off. And I go, but they're probably not. And then it's just a, it's a battle in your own head. And then you just give in and you just go, well, I'll go for four miles. I'll just go for four miles. And then the four miles end up turning into five, five hard miles. And then you come home and you're ready for bed. What inspires you to, to do what you do, to go out there and run when it's raining, it's windy, when you're, you don't feel right, you feel tired, etc. I've got chronic cartilage damage in my knee. So the run took a back step. My biggest motivation would be the kids, to be honest. It's just you want them to see you doing well. You don't want them taking the same path that you took. So you try and plant the wee seeds in their head. We never force them into it. I had them running a couple of times. My youngest wee fella is very, very, very 
very talented, but he doesn't he doesn't want to run. You know what I mean? So I would never I would never force him. And then when they see me in the gym, I would tell them to come up, but they don't want it. They'll come to an, an age where they'll make up their own decisions. I would just I wouldn't want to force my hand. But the very biggest motivation would be be my kids. To be honest. It's interesting how family is the cornerstone of what inspires us to do what we do in some way. Yeah, but whenever I was young and had had no children, it's just you. You don't you don't really care. I didn't I didn't care if I lived or died. And that's the honest truth. I could have done what I wanted. Woke up the next day, done it again, and didn't even care one second thought. I could have not woke up, but once they have kids, the whole dynamics of your life just changes. You you, you have. Somebody that's calling you daddy, somebody that's looking up to you, somebody that's watching every move. Like my wee girl would watch me all the time doing a wee bit of training, and then you look, and then she's coming over and she's mimicking you. I mean, she would do the planks, she would come over, she would join in, things like that. You know what I mean? So that's that in a way, you can't buy that sort of stuff. You know what I mean? It's just watching them grow, watching them develop is all you really need. Yeah, I was I was watching a lecture there last week and he was talking about the language of coaching and how the environment around us, we, we see and we understand and we mimic it in some way too. Yeah. Like, kind of what you're talking about there, your, your girl in the sense of she's copying you because she's seeing what you're doing and that, that is there in some way. Yeah, well, kids kids follow your actions, not your words. You could tell your kids to do a thousand things, they wouldn't do it if you're not doing it. You know what I mean? At that age... Their minds are delicate. They're still learning. They're still developing. So, like for instance, I was trying to get the overhead squat position for eight months. You no, know, because running gave me really bad mobility, tightened up my lower body. So it took me eight months of stretching things to get the overhead squat position. I had a wee brush after what I used to warm up with. She came in and started doing it straight away. You no, know, because she's a wee cub. Flexibility was great. And she started doing it straight away, and I saw. I had to get a wee photo of that. <laughs> I was good. It took me eight months to hold that position. She walks and lifts the brush off straight away. I I know that's the thing. When you see someone younger do it, it's like, ah, oh, fuck's sake, why can't I? do this you know <laughs> you don't use it you lose it <laughs> yeah and that's the thing with the body is we get lazy and we lose it and then we just spend eight months nine months build it back up again you know yeah yeah it's it's hard but I, i've very rarely take time off training the balance unless i've a really bad injury but through lifting weights i, I do a lot of conditioning stuff roar skier bit on the bag things like that and then I do, I've done a wee bit of crossfit in the past so very rarely get an injury that I can't do something I did turn my rotator cuff there recently and I could still work on my legs I could still do the bags I could still do a bit of cardio and things like that I just it used to be when I got my first running injury my world was ending I was all flipped I'm not going I'm not going to be able to run like this but as I get older you realise injuries are part and parcel you know what I mean you have to work around it so you look at it as a glass half full rather than the glass is half empty I mean, you just go, well, I can do this, I can do that. I can't do that, but it doesn't matter. I'll get around it. I'll keep myself active. I'll keep going, and then I'll get back to it. Whereas when I was running and I got injured, I would turn back to alcohol. So I could have maybe went four months preparing for races, getting the cross-country season ready, and then I was training for London Marathon twice on an elite start, and I got a hip injury two weeks out, and then second, the year after, I got a foot, foot injury two to three weeks out, so I would have turned back to alcohol and just to sort of block the pain of not making it to the Marathon. But like I said, now, as I've got older, do you do, do you get mature? But don't tell the girls I said this, that girls do mature a lot faster. Jillian was ready for settling down and all that before me. So as I get older, I've matured a lot more and I know now myself that if I get an injury, it's not the end of the world. I can dust it off. Yeah, I totally agree. Are you afraid of burnout? To be honest, people said I should have burnt out a long time ago. <laughs> I still... <laughs> 
No, it's it's the no. To be honest, I, I work crazy hours. I'm up. I'm in the gym half four every morning. I do my own training before I have my first client in at six o'clock. Before I have a class at six o'clock, I get a couple hours sleep in the afternoon. And I take Saturday. I work a few hours on Saturday. I take Saturday as a complete rest day. And once I get a full eight nine hours sleep going into Sunday, I, I'm ready to go again. I think burnout is a lot to do with the type of person you are. If you feel that you're going to burn out, there's a high percentage of the chance that you are. If you can say, well, I'm taking my rest, I'm training, I've taken an easy day in training, but I'll still do a wee bit. I think it just comes down to what's in your head. Personally, I don't I don't think I will. I don't know what's around the corner, but no, I've been doing it for, I've been training now from us 24. I've been training from us 24 and I'm now 30, I'm 39, two months. And to be honest, I've never felt better. In my own head and the training and sleep pattern, everything's just everything's great. So burnout, I don't. A lot of people do, does happen, but I don't know. To be honest, I think it's a mindset thing. You know, people think, oh, you know, you go to the gym, lift, you know, 160 kg deadlift. Actually, it's the the mind and the body that allows us to do some of these crazy, amazing yeah. things that the body can do. You know, mm-hmm. you got to convince the mind. The body want the mind wants to quit after 40. percent I heard that quote, David Goggins. You know, David Goggins. Yeah, he's an elite runner. That's what he says. The mind wants to quit after 40. percent So you've still got 60 percent though before the body. Before the body, even watch them. Triathletes doing the Ironman, their mind is so, so strong, and then they'll go and they'll go, and then they'll completely just buckle. I mean, so that just goes to show you how strong their mind is that they're going and going, and they've probably been in pain for five hours, and then the body just buckles, and some of them have to get carried over the line. So I think we're capable of a lot more than we think, and people that talk about burnout, they're not really going to reach their full potential. With people you coach in in the gym and you identify their, you can see their full potential, but the the person doesn't see their physical potential. How do you get, go around that? It's just I got to be that little voice in their head. I got to be the re- reassurance. But see, it took me a long while. It takes you a while to find your niche. I mean, you have to you have to go right. I'm conditioning myself. I've worked with top coaches on whatever, but to me, I don't want to be classed as a strength and conditioning coach. That's that's not who I am. Hey, am I? It's more health and well-being. I have people maybe coming in with mental health problems, with the fear of going to the gym. My job is to make them feel comfortable to train the way I switch my life around. You know what I mean? So I do a wee class on a Saturday morning for over 16s. It's called Believe. It's a free class. So I invite kids over 16 with drink problems on a Saturday morning, 8 to 9. So if they come to the class, they'll not have drunk the night before. So that's sort of the main reason. So I have that wee class. And I think that's the path I'm meant to go down because you cut away all the things that distract you. And then inadvertently, you're on your own path before you even realize. And you go to yourself, well, you have to think outside. You just take a step outside and go, well, how did I get here? And you go to yourself, what can I do to help somebody else get here? And I think my niece is to sort of bring kids into the gym a lot sooner than I get into it, to make them step away from the drink, from the drugs, from what everybody else is doing. Step out of that circle, come into the gym, might be a powerlifter, might be a runner, might be a high jumper, whatever. But you have to get them at the age where they can get their full potential. And a lot of them aren't going to reach their full potential because of that cycle that they're in. So you have to get them in there. So if I can get, it's for over 16, it's probably a wee bit late for, for some sports, but if I can get them in at 16 and then they're going to stop in the drink and then they realize, well, maybe I am stronger than I think. Maybe uh, that's not what I want to do. Maybe my friends are going out there. I don't want to do that. I mean, so that's what I'm trying to do, to be honest. And same with a lot of clients that maybe come one on one, they'll feel comfortable. My gym is just, it's a small wee gym, it's not massive, but a lot of people feel comfortable in it. 
it's very, very successful for that reason. They'll come in, they'll feel comfortable. This will say this feels like home. They've went into other gyms, they've felt intimidated. They've come into me with tears in their eyes, someone, and saying, "Well, I went down here at such and such, and now I feel comfortable in here." There's nobody judging me. I pass judgment on nobody. You know what I mean? You could have done whatever you want in your life, but at the end of the day, if people didn't give me a chance to change, you know what I mean? So everybody deserves a second chance. And hopefully through getting them into the gym, we can sort of provide that. My wife thinks very, very similar because she she was in that circle with me too. But like I said, she was a lot more mature. She stepped away a bit quicker than me. She was ready to stop drinking long, long before I was. But I think she just done it because I was doing it. You know what I mean? But she didn't. She didn't drink to the extent that I just should have went to bed. She, she was sensible. You know what I mean? But I was being comfortable in an environment like a gym because a gym can be very intimidating. You've got big guys who have testosterone pumping iron and roaring, and you know it's for a woman it can be quite intimidating. You know. But in having in having a space that's comfortable for everyone, that's where the potential can be unleashed in some way. Yep, definitely. Definitely, and as I sort of said, it's just, it's about making them feel comfortable. And like, you get a lot of people and they walk in. And like, when I was a runner and I injured me the first time, I went into the gym. And like I said, there's all these guys, massive, you know what I mean? And you can see them sort of looking over, but I was like, at that stage, I was running twice, three times a day, and I was 10 and a half stone, I was really, really skinny. And yeah, see them, you see them looking over at you, sort of saying, like, well, more or less, you get the vibe, like, what's that we twigged in in here, you know what I mean? Yet, and all, I was probably, maybe the strong most is your heart so I'm going to be a lot fitter than ever from running you know what I mean so you, you just you try not to pass judgment on anybody to be honest you know what I mean you don't pass judgment unless you've walked it down their shoes you don't know what anybody's going through I went through enough hard times myself to, to realise that yeah we all can live similar lives but when we when we judge say this person's had that we don't actually physically and mentally know what that individual has experienced in some way definitely not definitely not I, I have an I have an uncle who's fully blind and he's a he's a cyclist but he uh, yeah every way every every machine in the gym and guy could leg press 500 kg for 20 20 perhaps he was a monster but the monster rugby team thought he was taking steroids unscrew the bottle and it was water but what you just talk about heart and passion is so being an athlete in training you know yep and as I say, you can't really buy that passion. Like you're getting up every morning at five o'clock. You're going out running when the birds is coming out. And there's just to be thoughts that go through your head. Well, I know, I know, my competitive, my competition is sleeping. I'm not sleeping. I'm getting these extra miles. And and again, you can't overdo it. That's why that's why I get injured because I didn't start running until I was 25, and I did try to force it because in my head I was improving so fast. I was all well. Maybe I can make a living out of this. You know what I mean? And then. I won Northern Ireland and Ulster Championships and then you're thinking well this is for me but I remember looking back at the photo and there's a photo of me standing I was like 5,000 metres on the track it was 5-6 seconds ahead of second place and I was thinking in my head I was sitting the guy was taking a photo and I can actually remember the thought going through my head I saw I should have done that faster instead of just going calm relax you've done it you've beat the competition I PB but I thought I could have done it a wee bit faster so instead of going home and enjoying the victory I went for a 4 mile run that night I'd done a wee half cycle the next day with 10 mile and then I went and done an all race up Wednesday and I won that race but again I did I do remember not enjoying it so I don't know what I needed to get out of it to enjoy it because I just had to, I was, like I said I was thinking of next stage next stage next stage next stage at that stage I wasn't where I needed to be and because of volume of training I was doing I probably never never got my full potential running and then the injury sort of took over and then I was coming back from injury regrouping until I got to where I was and then I was getting injured again so then that's when it just goes right the time is 
step aside from the running, let it go. I have I have nearly went back a few times, but I've put on I was ten and a half stone and I sitting like fourteen two. I have put on a good bit of weight. So my knees don't like me when I run too heavy now. You never know. I've seen rowers who've who've competed in world championships at the age of fifty four. So age is never a never a, a feating rowers I, I love rowing myself to be honest. Very, very hard, very, very hard sport. I'd say row, rowing is harder than running. Yeah, it is. I was a rower for twelve years and I know it's the one of the hardest sports that on the planet, you know? Thousand thousand meters, two thousand meters sprint. You just you, you try to sprint it and then you're stuck in no man's land for thousand meters, the last four hundred meters face back an hour, and then two thousand meters that's a tricky one to crack and I would say I would have done a lot of rowing myself from, that's actually what more or less got me into the gym because I got on the rower and was off the, it's hard but I like to be pushed so I was doing 1000 metres 2000 metres 5000 metres things like that stuff. yeah the, the rower really really tests your mental grit not your physical grit I think you know what's the manners on this my coach won't say <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know, it's it's funny. I was at the the World Championships uh, rowing indoor event in Boston, and I actually saw the chain of a Concept Two row machine snap in the middle of a race. And uh, the guy, yeah, the guy was putting a five fifty five for two kilometers, and the middle of just snapped. He did take a break, come back in thirty minutes to do it all over again. That's crazy. That's crazy. What, what's the two K PB now? I think well, the two K world record is something ridiculous, like five thirty eight or something. Is it maybe less? Uh, it used to be five thirty six, but someone broke it there a year and a half ago. I think it's oh, was it Australian guy? I think it was. Was it New Zealand? Uh, New Zealand. It was yeah. somewhere. Yeah, the guy who previously had a Rob Wood. I think it was Rob Woodell, and he he said a five thirty six, but he had a rugby background. You know. Uh yeah. But again, the strength and the weight definitely helps you on the road. That's why when. When I first started doing, I walked into the CrossFit gym. I underestimated. I goes, well, I've been running for the past eight, nine years. It goes, it's cardio. How different is it going to be than running? How different is it going to be than running? And then uh, them boys absolutely blitzed me on it because they were 10, 15 kilos heavier than me. They were running like, was it 226 for 500? Whoa. I, I hit like 248. And then in my head, I goes, right, I'm going to row 2K every day until I beat them boys. And then eventually I got mine down to like 122, I think it is, for 500. Just for the fact that they beat me and I, it was in my head, I had to do what I had to do to beat these. So 2K every day on the roar until I became stronger. It's interesting in the heavyweight division, like you have got someone that's, you know, 77 kg and then you have another guy who'd be 105 kg. So the heavyweight division is a monster of a, of a category, you know? It's, I was I was near thinking of cutting down to do the lightweight one at one stage because it's a lot easier to manage than rolling against them boys. Yeah, so I would I would post my wee time and we times know the concept two website your rankings and stuff. You have the concept two rankings. I would post mine into the other time. See, they have the the skier would post them the rankings and then the wee back as well. Okay, it keeps the mind occupied too when you know you're competing against everybody else. But you're not if you know what I mean. They're on the other side of the world. Yeah. You always need a, comp- a competitive edge, regardless of what fitness. Yes, I said when I, whenever I turn forty, I'm just going. I don't care <laughs> because there's a lot of boys chasing me in the gym and they're getting pretty close. So once I turn forty, I'm just saying right, I'm going to have to let go because <laughs> I'm going to end up. I'm going to end up losing. And high tech, high tech losing is going to be a hard pill to swallow. Well, no, but I have to learn the one. Out of curiosity, what's your max lift? My max lift on deadlift? Yeah. Uh, 212.5, 212 and a half. Wow. And bench press? Uh, 115. Gee, that's good. And my squat would be, see, see to be honest, it's a sort of, at the start, I was always one rep, one rep, one rep, but it's it's an ego thing that I'm not going to ever be a powerlifter. So I sort of, I keep the rep, the rep range now around five, five to 10 reps. So my back squat, I only ever, I went to 170 and put a done 10 at 170. I would like to daily get 200 someday, but I don't know. So you have to get into that whole three reps, five reps. 
in one reps doubles things like that which multiplies the chances of getting injured and with the age and body that could happen pretty quick yeah that's the problem with the powerlifting and the bodybuilding is that you, you build the muscle so quick they can snap so easily you know uh, yeah. well, it wouldn't be for me I, I still like I still don't get me wrong I still like to lift a decent bit of weight but I only go by pound for pound on my, I'm obviously I'm sitting around 80 I can fluctuate between 86 to 90 on I, I'm never going out lifted if I had 110 kilos but I, I'm okay with that because I know deep down he should be pulling more weight than me and, but when it comes to legs of, I like to be able to get on I like to be able to lift a good bit of weight I still like to have fitness I still would like to be able to go for a three mile run if I wanted to I like to get on the roar, do a 2K in a decent time. I still like to do a wee bit on the bike, you know what I mean? So it's sort of a wee bit of a hybrid. like to be good at a lot of things, but not brilliant at one thing now. In all the, the gym work and all the sport you're doing, what has sport taught you in, you know, like when we're when you're running or you're on the row machine, you kind of let the mind loose and you just let it flow. And, it, you know, spiritually it teaches us something that we feel like, I don't need to learn that, but we actually learn it, you know? Going all the way. Running taught me discipline. Running because it's you against you. You know what I mean? It, it's not a team sport. If you have a bad day, if you've cheated, running knows you cheated. You know what I mean? If I would have went for a two-day drinking binge, running knew that because when I went to run, I couldn't run the same way. It would have took me maybe two weeks to get back to the level that I was at just from one one binge. And that's what I'm saying. Running taught me so, so many things about, mis- about myself, about my character. But how disciplined they can be when I need to be about social marathons, to be honest. So I run in. nothing clears ahead like a run. You can go out, so it can, like I say, it's just you. I would have run with boys from the club over the mountains and would have run to the mountains yourself. But it's just, it's it's completely different than anything else. You go, you can bag a different person. It's like, I used to tell Jenny, it's, it's like day and night. Inside my head, it could be raining. I would have went for a run, come back to some machine. But when you walk in the house, you leave the house, you come back in the house, nothing's changed, only your mindset. You come in and, like I said, it's a dull day of the day. You'd have, come, you'd have been leaving the house, that dull day would have been there. You'd have come back in and after a run. You don't see that dull day. You come in and sun's shining, you're buzzing, the endorphins is flowing. It's just a natural, natural high. But that's why I ran so excessively because I chased that. I chased that, I chased that buzz all the time. And I went to be, from my easy day, I would have run hard because I wanted to feel the way I felt when I was coming in after a hard run. And then, as we said, I just started controlling it. And one run became a week, became three hard runs a week, became five hard runs a week, became every day I was running hard. And I didn't need it. I mean, I should have been out running seven minute miles. And I was ended up coming in doing like 540 for 13 miles instead of seven minute miles. It was just chasing that feel good factor of a good hard run. And it's only when you get the good hard run that you feel like that. But that was, that was, that was my downfall. Like that's, where, that's where I started picking up the injuries. And my coach always told me, I was Connor, you have all the talent in the world. You've all the discipline in the world. You just need to rein it in. You know what I mean? And I had, actually over lockdown, I had a thing read out, a message read out to my coach and goes, right, I'm going to come back. I'm going to maybe give this run and go again. I've done seven men in two days. I thought, thought, well, now it's time to go back. But and the message is not wrote out and it's all right. And I just need you to keep an eye on me. Regarding, don't let me kill myself again. You know what I mean? Because I'll run and run and run myself into the ground until there's nothing left. So I just tell him, if he tells me, I know now, when he told me when I was 26, 27, I did listen, but I didn't do it. I was listening, but it was all, but sure, I'm not like everybody else. I'm not getting injured. You know what I mean? You think you're invincible. But no now, if you told me now, I would do it. It's a step you learn. It's, it's a step you learn as you get older, to be honest. You don't learn from anything positive. It's the mistakes you make that learns you the most. It's the, the dark times that show you what sort of person you really are, to be honest. I, I totally agree because like like the rugby or any of the professional sports that win, they always say it's not the success they remember, you know? Yeah. Like I, a Northern Ireland Championship 10K road race, so 
the club had the six men in the club counted, but I had a stomach bug leading up to the race. The race was on Saturday. I got sick, I think it was on Wednesday, and it was yellow. I couldn't hold water down, couldn't do anything, couldn't eat. The boys are on the phone. I says, right, guys, I have to give us a miss. I'm really not well here. And all, but, but you still count. You still count in the top. You still count. You still get your medal. You still get this. You still get that. So eventually, I trusted my arm and ended up doing it. But we normally would have faced top five, top ten. I came like 32nd or something. Fifth man on the team. We won the medal. And that medal meant absolutely nothing to me. I went for a run more or less every day after just thinking, I don't want this anymore. It just psychologically, it completely ruined me. And then eventually I had to, I'd say it took a good four to six months before I started going right, I'm, I'm ready for this again. So that was a, a really harsh lesson that I shouldn't have, I always say, if you put your toe to the line, you're there to be beat, you know what I mean? I shouldn't have put my toe to the line, you know what I mean? But when it did, I was there to be beat. The people in Derry were texting me going, well, I was slightly ahead of the day and whatever. And I'm all, well, they didn't know I had a stomach bug. They didn't know that I couldn't eat. They didn't know that I couldn't hold water down. I was just stupid enough to pop my toe to the lane because the pressure of going well, the team counts, but fair enough we did win the championship and what have you. But like I said, just, the medal just doesn't make any sense to me. But still lingers in my head as I came down the 30s or should have been better because it was 2012, I was probably running, 2012 was the year I was running at my best and I shouldn't have been placed where I was. But as soon as I went off, I had no energy, I had no nothing. I run the first nine and like, was it 4.56 or so? I remember looking at the split and going to the south. That feels like a sub four minute mile. I was just dead, dead in the water and the rest. There was even a video footage of me at the side coming through the park, Armo Park, and there's video footage of me actually broken at the side. You know what I mean? And it was my own fault. And I had to live with that. It did knock me a wee bit, but it was a lesson that I learned from you shouldn't put your toe to the line unless you're hundred percent. And that's that's the reason I don't run now because I don't think I could run the full potential through injuries and what have you. And if I can't fulfill the full potential, then I just go right, I'll have to take a back step. Leave it to the younger guys. Why do you think the injury happened? Is it because of stress? Is it because of mental? Because we all can get injured in sport in some way or somehow. Overuse. Overuse straight away. I know myself. Like I said, my coach was telling me, Connor, you're doing this, you're you're overtraining, you're running too many hard miles, you should be running easy, you should be taking more recovery, this, that and the other. But that's it's the meniscus, the back of the knee is more or less wore away than nothing, just because of constantly pounding the roads. I went from seeing that photo of being overweight still running 110 mile a week in the space of a couple of years, which it shouldn't have been. I say you need to, it takes a good six, seven, eight years to build a runner's body, and I was trying to build it overnight, and that's why my body wasn't ready for the punishment that I was putting through. But I didn't know if say if I know now I'd be a wiser person. But if I knew what I knew now, I would have reined it in. I would have talked because to me, because I didn't start the was in my mid twenties, I thought that I didn't have much time. But like I said, there's guys at fifty five doing their own, there's guys running morphin PBs in the forties. I mean they're running sub two thirty, two twenty five. There's a guy actually running Gary O'Hallan, you might know him from down in Dublin. He's he's actually still running under 220, he's running like 216s, 218s in Dublin Marathon, year in, year out, you know what I mean? And he's in his 40s. So at the time, I thought I needed to push it, I needed to go, and then it turned out to be mid-demise, overuse, just trying to push it when I wasn't ready. Yeah, it, it, you know, get bigger, get leaner, get faster now instead of that six, eight months to a year. And it, it frustrates every athlete, the fact that yeah. I want to be the best, I want to be the most built, most power, whatever, but just be patient because patience is yeah. the key, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but we'll, we'll, learn, we'll learn the hard way big time I think every athlete learns that I think it's part of the, the toolbox to learn I don't, yeah. I don't 
you know, like if someone knows that from a very young age, they probably have the, the coaching capacity there as the coach telling, look, take your time because you've got your whole life ahead of you comparing to someone who starts in their 20, you think, I need to do it now, 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 you know? Yeah. Definitely, definitely. But see, now when, when we were at school, like it says, we run that racing stuff when I was younger. There was no real gains in our town for running. You know what I mean? We're in Belfast. They were more nurtured to run. You know what I mean? They were looked after. They were told that if you can run to this, potentially get a scholarship in America, things like that. But we, we weren't told that. So when I was running cross country in first year, if somebody would have said to me, well, maybe you can take a scholarship to America if you keep up the running, who knows what would have happened? We weren't we weren't nurtured right. We were just well, it was football. It was Gaelic. Running was just running was just pushed to the side. You know what I mean? And it was never. It still isn't. And I've tried when I was running the train. My dad was in counselling for stuff. You no, know, and I says, well, train, bring it up to the meeting that you want a race track and you want stuff for runners because there's like three running clubs about this time now, and they're actually running in the question centre. They're running around a horse pit, all dents and everything. And there's still nothing here. There might be no funding for it, but there seems to be funding for basketball courts and things like that. There has to be funding for a running track, at least one. I gave up the ghost not a long time ago. What fascinates me about horse racing is the fact that, you know, they get the, the jockey and the trainer gets a horse, they train the horse and it races. But if you think about it as humans, we're exactly the same thing. Athletes who want to race, who want to compete. It's the same same component, just in the human component, if that makes sense. Yeah. Definitely. Everything has to be in sync. Yeah. It also has to have its timing as well, you know, time time yeah. important. I was watching uh, that athlete uh, about the US uh, gymnastics team and them girls are training from eight, nine, ten, right up and then they're competing in the world stage from their fourteen or fifteen. Like I said, I would never force my kids into something like that. And them to compete on that level they're training was I think it, it said was it sixty eight hours a day. At that sort of age, you know what I mean? They were getting injured. Uh, there's so much, so much going on, and you go just up. Well, is it worth putting yourself through that at such a young age? What effect is that going to have on you in later life? If you you suddenly going through countless hours of training, injuries, rehab, all the things that comes with elite sports at such a young age, where you, your body and your mind clearly hasn't developed. It's it's a tough one to call, but it just got progressively younger. It started in the seventies. The athletes were maybe twenty, twenty one, and then eventually, I think they were competing. With someone competing from they were twelve, twelve. Like you, you don't know, you don't know nothing at twelve unless you have been nurtured to do it from your twelve years of old, twelve years of age. But consciously, you didn't make that decision yourself. That decision's been kind of forced on you. you know what I mean? So I don't know. Is it good? I, I see a lot of even weightlifters from China and stuff, really, really young age. Don't get me wrong, it's great to get them in that, at that age, but there's a fine line between pushing them and letting them develop themselves. You know what I mean? Because I say, maybe my wee lad has all the talent in the world. Funny, you could, we took him up Cave Hill up the mountain and he ran up and down the hills with a smile on his face. Didn't take a fence at him. And I, I could be disciplined and go, right, Arn, same name. He goes, Arn, you can go and do this, you can do that. But if he doesn't want it, I'm not going to force him on it. You know what I mean? He, he'll come to the decision himself. He's sniped my oldest is 15 they both love soccer they play Gaelic I'm not going to force them to play Gaelic even though I tell them that you're going to develop your strength they just <laughs> they refuse to play it and they go well I'm not going to force them they do play soccer they're pretty decent soccer players but it is what it is they choose their own path I've had them at boxing I've had them at jiu-jitsu I've trained them with, with everything they just wanted to play soccer so soccer it is <laughs> I think that point is valid with soccer players as well you know like they see the, the Ronaldo the Messi on TV and they say I want to do that and they get the scholarship and they go over and you know from the age of 16 they develop a player and then when they retire it's like what, what can I do you know, they don't have the basic skills of living in some way, you know. I know, yeah, very, very true. They go to them academies and 
they're more they're more less just robots. But again, they'll have a very very good living out of it. You know what I mean? So to a lot of people, it's a pipe dream. It's not it's not doable. But you don't know if it's not doable in your own head. You think if I do the hard work, if I do this, if I do that, the same way I thought I thought I could have run for Ireland. I thought I could have got paid for doing it. I thought I could have had went warm weather training in my head. That was my goal. But who's to tell me I can't do it? Because if somebody tells me I can't do it, I'm going to try it anyway. I'll try even harder to do it. It's the same, like you say, maybe one out of every 5,000 is going to make it to be a professional footballer. Who's to say you're not the one in 5,000? And certainly I don't want to be the one to turn around and go, son, you're not good enough, because I wouldn't do that. You have to let them, you have to let them go, you have to let them try. You know what I mean? You can't, can't not let them try. You just go, well, it's a pipe dream, son, you're, you're never, you're good, but you're not that good. If you think with that mentality, then you'd never get anywhere. You have to think that you are... In your own head, you are that one percent that's going to that's going to make it. And if you don't, well, you tried. Yeah, I also think this argument fits into the being a clean athlete and a, and a steroid-using athlete yeah. or someone using steroids in the gym. Because it's there; you can choose it. But yes, you can also choose to be clean. So, what's your opinion and feeling about that? <sighs> I remember watching three brothers. Two of them took steroids. One didn't. The other wouldn't give in to it. His brothers were lifting three times what he was lifting. But he says, no, it's not for me. I, I want to I wanna see myself for what I am without enhancing it. The other two guys went on to win competitions and stuff, but clearly they weren't clean. So with the likes of powerlifting, very, very few of them are clean. You know what I mean? The Olympics, yes, but outside the Olympics, you even have to look at Russia. You look at Russia, you look at Ukraine, there's, and the USA, there's such a gap between the rest of the countries. You have to question whether they're using steroids or not, because I remember watching, was it the squat competition? There was like 40 or 50 between the top three and the fourth, or it was maybe, there was Russia, Ukraine, USA, and I can't even remember who else, but the gap between them and, and the rest is questionable. You know what I mean? The same, same as cycling. Lance Armstrong got the rough end of the stick. Fair enough, he was forcing on a lot of people, but he was just the best at taking steroids and getting away with it. They're they all were doing it. You know what I mean? It, it is. It's, it's a tough one. I don't agree with it, but it's present everywhere. You have to even look at the Nike Origin project with Alberto Salazar. Athletes go to him. The first thing they're asked to do is go and get an inhaler, even if they don't have asthma because the steroids in the inhaler. All performance enhancing. It's everywhere. So, so, so widespread. Even any gym you go in deny, it's, it's everywhere. There's a couple of bodybuilding gyms around here. You'll go in and there's guys that are preaching that they're clean, but you know to look at them clearly not clean. And then they're getting the youngster's head saying, well, I'm clean. And then the youngster's going to do it. And then he's probably feeling insecure because he's never going to look like that unless he uses drugs because you can't get that big on chicken fillets no matter who you are, unfortunately. You eat 100 chicken fillets a day, you're still not going to go the way them boys go. Something, there's something in their dad that, that shouldn't be. I don't care if people are open about it. Yes, there is guys that say, yes, we clearly use steroids. But the ones that turn around and say, well, we don't. It's just, it's filling people's heads full of imaginary things that they think they can be and they can't. Realistically, when they're lifting weights and they go, well, I'm not getting any bigger, then they'll just stop and go, well, I can't look like him. I haven't trained the same amount of time as him. He's lifting three times what I'm lifting. He's on steroids. You're not on steroids. You have to you have to realize that. If you want to go down that path, that's the path you want to go down. Personally, and like I said, I'm not against it, but it wouldn't be for me, to be honest. I like to see myself for what I am and see my true potential as a clean athlete. And that would be really good, but don't get me wrong. Them guys that take steroids, they need to work just as hard. But I remember watching a documentary about the boy was microdosing on EPO and he was he gained like five percent, five percent on his fitness. And five percent on his fitness elite level is massive. That takes you from top hundred into the top ten. If you want if that's the path you want to go down and you're deep down when you go to sleep at night, you know what you've done it. 
if you're happy enough, if you could sleep at night knowing that you've cheated against kind people, happy enough. But clearly my, my conscience wouldn't let me do that. You know what I mean? Because I, I'll know that I've took a shortcut. It's like, remember a coach saying, like, taking steroids is like driving around in a rented fiori. You know what I mean? Because the fiori is not yours. <laughs> the steroids has enhanced your body to something that clearly it wasn't meant to do. You, only, you can only grow. Everybody has different genetics, fair enough. There will be people in the younger years who put on mass a lot, lot quicker, but you know who's touched steroids, you know who hasn't, to be honest. There's lots of different forms. I mean, you can get guys that use it for cutting weight, you get guys use it for gaining weight, and then they'll say, oh, well, I'm ripped now because I've cut down, I'm doing a water draw, and they say that they've they look so vascular because they've took all their water out of there. They've cut down on water, so they'll, they'll do like a stage where they'll take maybe six litres of water, and then they'll gradually reduce it until they're maybe only taking 300 milligrams of water a day, and say that dries all the muscles out, but... God knows what that's what they're taking. Uh, to be honest, I couldn't even tell you names of because I've never even I've never even looked into it. Wouldn't be something. Wouldn't be for me. And even the, with the gym that I have, it I would set it like a sore thumb. As as a gym owner, you feel that having people using you know steroids in in your gym to lift. I know your people come in; they're your customers. But would you feel that, that rather to have a clean gym or just people coming in and using your gym? See, we have a wee board on the thing, you know, like max bench press, max thing like that there. If I came in and they said that they weren't on steroids, even if they did say the word, I'd have people in my ear, Owen Connor, we can't compete against him because we don't take steroids. He's taking steroids. So, yes, they could train away, but I wouldn't be able to put them on the board because then I would get the backlash. They go, well, we've been training here for two years. Our name's on the board. We've never touched any sort of drugs. And then he comes in. You have to be a member for three months where you can change the board anyway. So if he says he's training for three months and he comes in then three months period, after three months period, he just blitzes every record on the board. And then everybody's starting to say to me, I wouldn't, if I knew myself that he was taking steroids, I wouldn't put him on the board. I'd just say, yeah, I can't put you on the board because even advantage over everybody else you know what I mean so and then if I did put him on the board then it would be me getting it from everybody else saying well he's doing this he's doing that he's doing that so the save the year I would just have to confront him and just say yes train away but if you lift heavier than the boys um, or the girls for that matter I can't put your name on the board there is obviously girls and phallic sex there's a lot of cardio stuff in it too 2k rows in there (laughs) (laughs) oh cool how did the gym come about? that's what I was saying I was running and then a couple of people got in contact with him and the same the times or whatever, seen race results and all. But you wouldn't rate me out of a program for running. To me, I didn't have I didn't have the confidence to see if somebody would have told me ten years ago I'm doing what I'm doing now because it was very very insecure, it was very withdrawn and things. Well, maybe not ten years ago, maybe say fifteen to twenty years ago, I would have laughed at them. You know what I mean? Because I never had the confidence. Even when I started doing it, I still didn't really have the confidence. Even before I'd done this interview, it sort of it needs to. And I've been asked to do talks and skills and all. I still haven't got around to talks and skills and working my way up to that. So back to the question, I was running and a couple of guys had asked me for programs and whatever. And I says, well, for me to write you a program out, I need to know what you're capable of. So I would talk them out and order run them up to the lose conversation. So I, then if they don't have a heart rate monitor, I need to find out what their threshold is, what their lactic threshold is. So I would have talked them out and then I'd chat away at them. And then once they start losing the ability to hold conversation with me, I go, well, right, that's, that's where we need to be. I'd have my watch on, I'd have been checking the pace on my watch, things like that. And then I'd have found out about them and then I'd have wrote them program out. And then a lot of them would say, Connor, you should go on to do PT and stuff. At this time, I'd already started CrossFit and I was doing a wee bit of, a wee bit of weights with that. And a lot of people had said, you should go on to do it. But, but I'd never really been in it yet, only for CrossFit and things. And then with my injuries and stuff, I knew a lot about the lower body, but building the upper body, I didn't really know much about so it kept saying, and then it was in the back of my head, but I know a lot about my legs and what have you from rehab and injuries and stuff. 
but that's basically it. And then the CrossFit's, CrossFit workouts that I'm doing, which was programmed for me by the gym. So I didn't have the confidence. And then I was stopping drinking, coming that stage, to be honest. So I stopped drinking on June. I fell and broke my thumb in two places through alcohol. So I felt it was time to call it a day. I was going to end up losing my family and the kids and stuff like that. So it was all right. I called it a day. So I stopped drinking in June. I was starting to take people out for a run more often. And I was doing it all for free. And then everybody's all, you used to do this. You'd be a really, really good coach and stuff. And you know what you're talking about and so on. And then I was all, well, again, the gym, the CrossFit gym, he was doing his level two and level three. And then I started asking him. And he says, well, he was doing it down in Belfast and stuff. And I says, well, I'm working. I wouldn't be able to make the time. So I let it just fade out. And then I started doing it in October. So I said I let it fade out for maybe a month or so. I kept going on and on. It goes, right, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to see if it happens. So uh, I got in contact with the Sports Training Academy and they say as well, you're lucky enough. This was coming into October time and says, you're lucky enough. There's just a course that's just started the day. So you can come the morrow. So it was Monday. I must have found them. The course started on Monday. I turned up the course on Tuesday, working full time in a fiberglass factory and doing my course at night. So the course was three months every night of, every night of the week and then obviously you're revision stuff the weekends. So I done the course, took me till Christmas time, doing my level two and my level three and then uh, got the door closed on my first load of times and I was asking people, well, can I shadow you? Can no different coaches that I would have knew? I was like, can I shadow you? He goes, I'm not looking paid for it. I just want to sit in. I just want to learn. So I just want to grow. I just want to develop. I know, but you've no experience. And I goes, but I need to get experience. So I need, I need the experience. I need to be in the gym. Even I'll try to stay out of your way. Even if you let me sit in, come into one of the classes, I'll sit in the back of the room. I'll just take mental notes, blah, blah. And no, 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 no. So a lot of them said no, no, no. But they ended up coming back at a later date to ask me to come to the gym, which I turned them down. So eventually, okay, Scott says, well, I'll let you do part-time because for renting the gym to do to train people was like 350 quid a month. I was on minimum wage at the time, so I couldn't afford it. So it was, the courses and all passed. It was trying, 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 the doors were closing. But we don't give up. So eventually, the guy Scott says, right, Connor, tell you what, you're working full time. I goes, I'll do your part time rent. I goes, brilliant. He goes, you can train clients in here from five to nine at night. And it'll be only £25 a week. And he goes, that's brilliant. So I got my wife in the gym. I've been trying for years. See, would have had similar deaths. When I was running, I was eating loads and stuff. I got away with it. But she didn't. She started gaining a wee bit of weight. And I was always telling her, I was all right. We need to get you into the running. We need to get you walking. We need to get you doing stuff. No, no, no. I don't need that. No, no, no. But she was gaining weight. And then advanced when I passed my course, gave the decision goes, right, I'm going to take her into the gym. And so I took her into the gym. We spent most of the time arguing. She didn't like squatting. I gave her sore legs. So everybody in the gym was probably watching me and we arguing rather than training. <laughs> So we spent a bit of time arguing, supposed to be training her. Eventually, we started getting a wee bit, a wee bit done. Uh, she lost something like four stone. She lost four stone. Once she lost the four stone, done the aisle before and after photos. And then once I'd done that, it just snowballed. Everybody got in contact with me. And since then, my evenings have been fully burnt. And that's five years ago. It's, there's actually a waiting list on the evening places to get in. And... Like I was saying at the start, once I'd done my first PT session, it was in my head, right? It goes, I've done my first PT session. I want to get a set of classes going. So I built my PT base up and I was still working full time. I was mentally and physically exhausted. Eight months, I think I'd done it. I started training people in the morning before work. Started working at eight o'clock. Worked from eight to half four. Back PT'd from five to nine, sometimes ten that night. Worked Saturdays, worked Sundays, just to try and get the money to invest in my classes. So I got a... F- 
got a couple of pounds saved up and my client base had built dramatically from then and I goes so I got the client base built up in classes I goes right so I went to the local GAA club and says well can I hire this holiday we very kindly enough said yes no problem so the classes started classes exploded because I had a load of transformations from my clients and then I sort of used that to promote the classes while saying well if he can get results for all these people then he can get the classes and stuff up and going and then I got the classes going through I was PT in a year and yeah so I was PT in a year got the classes going then when I got the classes going I was all in softball now the time either the leap of faith Put my eggs all in one basket to leave my fiberglassing job and try and push it as far as you can. So me and my wife came to the decision and goes, well, if worst comes to worst, I could probably get the fiberglassing job back, so I'll give it a go. So I quit my fiberglassing job, was it eight to ten months after? I can't remember. Anyway, the classes was just in the pipeline. They were starting in January, so I think I quit the fiberglassing job maybe September, October. It was five years ago, so not too sure. And then, so I quit the fiberglassing job to put my focus on the classes and put my focus on the clients and try and build it a wee bit more. So the classes ended up booked out, sold out, lucky enough. But like I said, people think it's luck. The more you work, the harder you work, the lucky you seem to get. I mean, because it was still working. Like, what i done through working them two jobs, there's not many that would, because I've had people that's even joined me, Jim, to do training, and they go, well, I'm working, and then they'll come in and do a few hours a night, but they don't seem to stick it. You know what I mean? They'll go, well, my job's killing me, and I have to, sorry, I'm just going to have to stop working in the evenings because the job's taking too much out of me. It's a path you have to take. So, like I said, I worked for eight to ten months with the two jobs, got the classes started, bed sold out on the January. So once the first black came over, I was doing people's measurements and stuff and it absolutely went down a storm. Everybody really, really seen the changes. They lost loads of inches, lost loads of weight, body fat went down and then as from that, just snowballed from that. So it took my, a year of the classes, classes built up. Then from the classes, I was putting money away to open my gym, but at no location. So the GAA club that I was in says, well, weave a way up upstairs place there and there was the snooker room used to have two snooker tables and then there was a wee card room and then there was the changing rooms it says well you can have you can have that area it's still the same gym now it's only it's 11 meters by 11 meters and then you have your wee card room and then the wee bit for the classes we change rooms for the classes so that says you can have that i decided got medallion medallion would be pretty handy so he took it from there he got it everything out we got the snooker tables out we got it all done up invested small at the start and then just grassy built but very 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 hard to build the gym where the classes you think right i've got the pts built that happened quick enough i've got the classes built that happened quick enough the gym was the complete opposite it just goes I just, i've invested money in here and it's just hit a wall so we opened on october 2017 and for three months there was only me pt i was trying to do all the classes in the gym the, the other classes in the hall, yes, they were still going. So I, I branded it as a transformation camp. So it's an eight or 12 week transformation camp. It was still going well. The gym was just dead. So I brought classes in the gym. I had to get spinning bags, things like that. So I went three months with just doing half nine classes, maybe one or two people in them. Me doing my own PTN, trying to keep the rents up, things like that. It was, it was tough, it was tough now. And then gradually it started building very, very, very slowly. Then it was getting too much for me. The classes were starting to get more. The demand was going up for the gym classes. And then my wife decided to go and do her level two and three. So she done her level two and three, took a bit of pressure off me. And then it's just been gradually building from there. So say the first year was very tough. Year two wasn't where I wanted it to be. Wasn't anywhere near where I wanted it to be eventually coming even just before COVID kicked in there. I remember putting a post up on Facebook just saying, 
finally, it's the gym is at a place where I'm happy with. You know what I mean? Of an extension plan for the future. It's just waiting, waiting until we get the club is expanding down till the football field changing room and stuff. So I'm going to get all the back rooms. So that's could be a team months away, but we'll just keep chipping away until that's and that's the stage we're at now. The class is still going. The gym's at a place we're happy with. The both of us are coaches now. Takes a lot of pressure off us. There's a few other coaches, kickboxing coaching and things like that. We had yoga at one stage, didn't really last, and then that's it. Basically, we are where we are now. Try to get the, trying to get the kids in. So my main objective is to hopefully, if they choose to come into the gym, to take over the gym, well and good. If they don't, they don't. If they want to go somewhere else, if they want to go to university or whatever. But they think it's they're just going to walk in and go, no, no, you need your education before you can just walk into the gym. I mean, they don't want to have to go back to school at 30 the way I did. Well, 34 the way I did in the evenings. Walking into the classroom after 20 years is amazing. And that's that's us. We're still still working away. And like I said, at a stage now where I think I can try and give a wee bit back. So I'm trying to get the kids in, get them off the streets, and say the class is free. Still, there's still room for a few more members. More than welcome. There's no there's no pressure on anybody to talk. We'll come in and put the kettle on, have a coffee for everyone wants. We'll get a wee bit of weights done. We'll get a wee bit of cardio done. And then some of them open up, some of them don't. And it's probably that there are, is probably the most fulfilling hour of my week. Through years because they're coming in, they'll be coming in, they'll be, they'll be shy, they'll, they'll be bashful, they'll, they'll not really speak. And then by the end, they're beaming, they're smiling, they're laughing, they're, they're talking to you, they're telling, telling me a wee bit about themselves. You know what I mean? So that in itself is all I needed out of that class. People say, well, it's supposed to be a business, it's not supposed to be a charity. And I goes, well, it's not a charity when I'm getting so much out of that for my own self. You know what I mean? It's for film. Connor, what is your favorite um, exercise you love to do? Uh, May we saying is glutes or the new abs, so squats. <laughs> I'm trying to turn the fitness world on his head. Everybody thinks you need abs. I'm trying to change it to glutes, booty. <laughs> so you'll have you'll have your, your bum will be like Beyonce's bum then, right? <laughs> Hopefully that's not big. <laughs> Connor, if there was one piece of advice that you've learned from your experience, your journey, and someone had asked, you know, I'm struggling or I need some advice, what would it be? There's a sort of code I live by myself now is that people look into a lot of what other people think of them. You have to tell yourself, not everybody's going to like you, but you got to be okay with that. Because people are so quick to pass judgment. You could do a million things right, they'll not remember you do one thing wrong that's going to be brought up to you for as long as as long as they can keep bring it up and they say you just you take people's opinions with pinch of salt especially in the fitness industry as worse than hairdressing. There's so much bitching, there's so much negativity. Nobody's positive towards each other. They don't like to see people doing well. I personally don't go on any gym pages because of that reason. I made a New Year's resolution. People go off drink, whatever. My New Year's re- resolution was not to go on to any gym pages, and I haven't broke that. So one piece of advice is just say, not everybody's going to like you, and you got to be okay with it. Where, if people want to find out more, where can they find you? I'm on Facebook under Limitless Fitness by Gillian and Connor McGill. It sounds like that, you know, the first half of your life, you, you kind of got stuck in components of, of where you things and addiction that she, they taught you stuff. And now you're having a successful gym and you're running and you're doing all the, the cool stuff. And I, I feel that in order to, to do that, it's like the phoenix burnt out and rise again. And now it's becoming the success that you are in some way. That's why I tell people my story. I, I don't live in that place anymore. If I'd have seen the Connor of 17, I don't recognise him. That's just a naive kid that thought he knew a lot about the world and he didn't. You know what I mean? And if I can help people think, well, if he can turn around, because I'm nothing nothing special. You know what I mean? I just just have a mentality where I don't know how to quit. You know what I mean? 
so the way I look at it, Florida for me, Jim, to not move anymore is for me to quit, and I don't need the, I don't, uh, it's, it's not in me to quit. So that's the thing I have to put across to people is you don't have to be special, you don't have to be born with a super talent, you just got to be willing not to give up. You know what I mean? And you got the Lexus suicide rates and all are going through the roof because people aren't guided. Like I was walking to work every day, going past the railway gates, thinking right of ways of ending it. You know what I mean? Because I didn't see no way out. So you have to try and be the person to just go right. If he can do it, then I can do it. So I tell people my story. That's why a lot of people feel comfortable with me too because. Add, you can sort of get a vibe off people and you sort of tell them well, when I was younger such and such and goes that you can change you can change the world if you wanted to you just got to be willing to try and you just got to realise that the situation you're in now isn't isn't the end you know what I mean you, there's light out there there's help out there there's, there's people you can talk to there's ways and means around it there's the things you can do to challenge your addictions there's things you can do to transform your life like I say I'm never going to be the smartest person I'm never going to be the strongest I'm never going to be the fittest, but I'm sure as hell never going to quit. And that's the only thing. That's the only thing is you just got to be willing to be uncomfortable, to try things, to fail over and over again because everybody fails. I mean, without failure, there's no lesson. And that's just very, very, that was a very, very big decision for me to just to go red. I'm going to try. And if I fail, I've learned. If I don't fail, it's a step closer to where I need to be. You've got to be willing to take the risk. Keep a faith. Connor, I want to say thank you so much for coming to the show. It's been a pleasure and fun having you on. Not a problem. Thank you, Yorn. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.